Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. That's ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Again, that's ebaymotors.com. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. everybody to the spotlight on fightful i am steven jensen joined today by sp3 filling in for jeremy lambert as a, a kind of the third man of the spotlight whenever jeremy's not available sp3 is here i always appreciate you filling in man always good to see you if y'all don't know me and sp3 occasionally do a show over on fightful overbook together called degrassi dudes we'll actually be returning with that show uh next weekend on fightful overbook so you want to see more of us together fightful overbooked uh this upcoming saturday oh sorry not this saturday but the next saturday the 14th so uh, uh anyway sp3 thanks for joining me man how you doing today i'm very glad to be here the sixth man of the spotlight the substitute teacher 
of Fightful had to bring some mocha tint to this spotlight here today. And uh, yes, I'm glad to fill in as always for you or Jeremy. And I love this show. It's an open forum where you guys talk about everything in wrestling. And that's kind of my thing. So, and also shout out to my boy uh, Gumby who gave me this nice little, uh, his he made it himself, True Hill He shirt. So shout out to him. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, shout out. <laughs> I like it. I like the merch. I'm just wearing a uh, an outsider shirt, you know, uh supporting supporting my my boy Kevin Nash. I've got like a whole roster of uh you can probably all see a pattern here, but I've got a roster currently going of like my favorites. Um guys like Kevin Nash, um guys like Bobby Fish. Um, you know, you can see like a pattern here. Jungle Boy, you know, there's there's a lot of these guys who uh, those are your, those are your boys. Yeah, yeah. Now, Bobby Fish is my boy because I got that's my that's probably my favorite interview I've ever done is Bobby Fish. He's he's now officially my boy. We bonded off of both being fathers. So shout outs to Bobby Fish. Very very cool very cool. Um, before we get started in the topics, man, anything you want to uh, bring up? Anything going on in your in your life or in the uh, in, in anything you're you got anything you're interested in that you want to throw out there before we start, start, start talking wrestling or anything else? I mean, I mean, it's a it, you, if you know me, you know I'm a big NBA fan, yeah. and it's finally some NBA news. You know, Damian Lillard going to the Milwaukee Bucks. You got uh, True Holiday going to the uh, Boston Celtics. So the Eastern Conference is very interesting, and those two teams very much boosted their off seasons, but. Still, my Los Angeles Lakers had the best offseason. So we're going to win the championship next year. You know, forget the Denver Nuggets. Y'all had y'all time. It's time for the Lakers to be back on top. But, yeah, that's kind of like what, what I've been interested in outside of the uh, whole bubble of professional wrestling, outside of, of course, my family life as well. Shout out to my missus who is watching the kids. I appreciate you. Always love you. Yes. Awesome. Good stuff, man. I, uh, I'm looking forward to the NBA season, too. I got into it way more last year with like prize picks and that kind of stuff. So, I'm, and your boy uh, Trey, you're a good oh, yeah, yeah. fan. I, oh yeah, Trey. Fan. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I've I've kind of had to become one. Yeah, and I've been going to actually a good amount of the games. My my brother trains a guy who has tickets like like year round tickets like uh in, in their club seats. It's awesome. So like pretty much any game he doesn't want to go to, he gives my brother tickets and. So we got to go like a lot last year. I got to go to Raw in the same seats this past uh, like a couple months ago. I, I don't know if I told you about that, but I went to Raw in Atlanta. Cody opened the show, luckily. So like Cody came out, opened the show. I was home by like nine Eastern. Like, like I, I went. It was it was great. I beat all the traffic. So. Um, he's like i'm staying from this one segment and i'm out bro i don't know if you've seen uh how familiar everyone in the chat is with it's always sunny in philadelphia but there's an episode where um the gang has to like it's called, i think it's called the gang saves i think it's the gang saves the day and like they're in a convenience store like a like a like a gas station and someone's robbing it and then like you you see all their own perspectives in their mind of like how they would save the 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 day and yes. and Frank's version is basically him just like grabbing as many hot dogs as he can, like eating them before, like basically before the, the place gets robbed or something else happens. So he just it, it, everyone else is like actually saving the place. Frank's just eating as many free hot dogs as he can, like while this is happening. And that's pretty much me when I went to Raw. Like I showed up, got all the free hot dogs, saw Cody, and then I was, was like, deuces, guys, I'm out of here. Yeah, that I'm was it. That you know it. what, Jeremy? Uh, for for Jeremy out there, I know he's watching somewhere. Or he's gonna watch it on demand. I'm going to watch Always Sunny for Steven Jensen 
because I learned my lesson from Jeremy. He did not take my all my suggestions to watch Winning Time, the story of the Lakers dynasty, or Heels on Stars. And both of those shows got canceled because of Jeremy Lambert. So I'm going to listen to Steven Jensen. I'm going to cherish Always Sunny because I don't want it to have the same fate. Hey, I appreciate that. They're like 16 or 17 seasons in now. The show's been going for like 20. 16, 17? What? Always Sunny? Yeah. Jesus oh, yeah. Christ. Oh, yeah. They, the, the show started when I was in, I was like a senior in high school or like a freshman in college. So like. That's like a soap opera. Soap oh, no, it is. It's, 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 like, it's the longest running. Like, I think, I think it's the longest. It's the, it's the longest running like live action, like comedy series ever. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Dude, I can't believe you don't watch it. It's right up your alley. You might have to push through some of like the earlier stuff because like, you know, jokes and the times have obviously changed and like, yeah. you know, some stuff you can't get away with anymore. And, you know, some stuff isn't considered, you know, okay anymore and stuff like that. But I mean, literally the first episode is literally called the gang gets racist. And you can only imagine, I mean, that's the first episode of the show and they're, and they've been going for 20 years now. You know what I mean? So like, um, but that's the thing is like, and people in the chat are saying it's always sunny um, have the worst people you ever know on TV. That's the thing. They're all, it's a group of people. They're all the worst people. And like, you're not meant to be like them. Like every, everyone around them realizes how bad they are too. Like they're only, it's, it's, it's really, it's hard to explain, but it's a great show. Anyways, we'll get into the wrestling talk for you guys here. Um, there is no interview today because um, we have a hard out at 11 today with my shoot job and Jeremy being out. We will have an interview, <clears throat> excuse me, for y'all next week. We already have the guests lined up. And uh, we know y'all will very much enjoy that next Thursday. Um, that all said, let's uh, get started on the wrestling topics. And we're going to start today with... Uh, over a million fans uh, and a great number in the demo tuned in. And it was a great show. And I think it's been a run of great shows. Big news in AEW. We had Wrestle Dream this past weekend, and that included the debut of the Rated R superstar Adam Copeland, the former Edge from WWE, who had been a part of that company in one way, shape, or form since like the late '90s. I mean, Edge had been around forever. He obviously had that that long, uh, you know, retirement, you know, for about nine years or so. But he was always still like a WWE guy. Would make WWE appearances and stuff like that. Um, even before he wound up. Um, even wait, wait, SP3 showed two fingers to get out. What's that mean? Shucky ducky. I'm like, I'm like, I'm reading the chat. Um, what's, what's, that, what's that mean? Um, but, uh, but so, but so even before Edge came back to WWE or like the, the, like his head's retirement and before he came back, he had done some stuff, right? Physically, like he had done that spear on the pre show of one of those pay per views. Um, and, Basically, like to my to my if I remember this correctly, he was interested in coming back. Then WWE hadn't cleared him. Still, he had had probably at least we speculated this conversation with AEW. AEW was probably like, "Hey, you look good. If you want to wrestle, like we're interested." And then like right away, he was back in WWE. Like pretty much right after he got cleared, showed up in the Royal Rumble. So I feel like the seed has always been planted in Edge's head. To at least a, some degree, like if I want to go to AEW before it's all over, I probably can. And obviously, he has the link to Christian there. I'm sure that conversation was very interesting. Edge probably hitting him up, going, "Dude, I'm I'm not going to resign. I might go back, but like I'm interested to know how are things over there." And Christian's probably like, "Bro, I'm having the best time of my life. Like I'm on the best run of my career. Like this environment's great. Like 
the the freedom you get and all this stuff. And that's just probably thinking, man, I've done everything you possibly can in this company. And it was to the point where like he I'm not I don't want to discredit like the value of Seamus and like SmackDown and stuff, but like for an, a career like Edges, it just didn't seem like he was going to end it all on a smack I know it was in his hometown, but like on a SmackDown against Sheamus, nothing really on the line and stuff. And it just felt like it wasn't over. So I'm glad to see him in AEW. And it was interesting seeing he's got his theme music because he's friends with Alter Bridge um, and, and everything. So it's like, and he's still the rated R superstar because WWE let that let that trademark lapse in like 2020, apparently. So um, yeah. SB3, what are your feelings on Edge being uh, back in AEW or being in AEW? And then also, if you want to elaborate on what we saw last night between him and Christian. Uh, Sunday was very much surreal. And even last night was very much surreal because like you said, for the better part of three decades, we had seen edge in some shape or form in WWE, whether it's, you know, I remember going back to his debut and all the vignettes. You think, you know, him, you think, you know, him, you think, you know me and all of him running, roaming the streets. It looked like New York and the, and the grittiness and the alleys and all that, how that was shot, that mysterious kind of character that they presented in the summer of 1998. I remember SummerSlam 1998, him being the, the tag team part for Sable against Mark Merrow and Jacqueline. I remember the days when Christian first came in and it was the whole mystery because yes. uh, Edge had been feuding with Gangrel and he brought in this mysterious figure and we find out that it's his brother and, you know, all of that when they uh, formed the brood and then they uh, join up with the Ministry of Darkness and then leave the Ministry of Darkness and then Gangrel leaves them, joins up with the Hardys, the ladder match at No Mercy 1999, the TLC three with the Dudleys and the Hardys through, you know, 99 through 2001. And then his singles run through 2001 through 2004. And then his rise to the main event scene. I've been through it all. Like I'm a, yes. I, I always tell the story when kids back in my day, when I was like 12 years old in elementary school, when kids was going around dressing like the Hardys in baggy clothes or my more hardcore wrestling fans were staying up late and knew about the Dudleys from their time in East. CW and supported them in WWF. I was the kid who waited till the teacher turned their back to do the five second pose. I loved Edge and Christian. Like the whole True Hill Heat, the first heels that I remember loving was Edge and Christian and Kurt Angle. That whole trio together was the first heels that I remember seeing. So to see Edge after all this time, 25 years with the WWE, to be in a whole different company, the biggest competitor to WWE since WCW, and when you really thought about it leading up to it, it made all the sense in the world because the guys he came up with, the guys I aforementioned, the Hardys, Christian, the Dudleys, all of them had runs outside of WWE. And for the most part, all of them kind of got better treatment outside of WWE more than or as, as far as like after the tag team scene. After that, I felt like a lot of them got their best runs outside of WWE as far as like Bully Ray and Christian Cage and TNA and now this run in AEW or the Hardys with the Broken Hardys in Impact Wrestling. Like I, for the most part, all of them and even someone like Kurt Angle, who he spent a lot of the career and feuded early on in his singles run. He got a run outside of that, spent more time in Impact Wrestling than he ever did in WWE. So he's he was the only person missing. And he was kind of like a bridge from that attitude era to the ruthless aggression era. And despite a lot of people kind of 
putting him in the place of like next to guys like Cena or in Batista, which he should be. I kind of always remember him more to those guys, the TLC three, the Hardys, the Dudleys, Christian. So I just, as a longtime fan of day one for Edge, I just needed to see how it would look outside. So it was really surreal to see that moment. And I thought it was executed so well from the whole matchup with Darby Allen taking some of the sickest bumps that we have seen in professional wrestling since Mick Foley from uh, him and Christian putting on an excellent AEW main event, elevating the TNT championship in the process. The Nick Wayne turn that makes all the sense in the world. I didn't see it coming. It made sense and I didn't see it coming. I did not see it coming. And for the most part, the majority of fans that I've seen that were upset about it are more upset about it because they're invested in the story and they're like, that young kid should have never been manipulated by that by that yeah. evil, evil Christian cage. And the mom yeah. sold it so well. So the heel turn, just chef's kiss on the heel turn. And then to leave the fans home happy, that was the perfect way to do it because I thought they were going to give us both. I thought they were going to give us Darby winning and and the Adam Copeland debut, but that was the best way to do it because Christian is on a, a career run right now and with the TNT championship, I love when guys make a championship a part of their character and that's what Christian Cage has done with the TNT championship and you heard that on commentary when he came to the ring and last night's segment was the was the best part of the show, honestly. And I'm saying that as a huge Jay White fan. I loved his promo and the challenge and the and the promo work he did with MJF. But this was the best segment of the show because first you had the surreal moment of seeing Edge and Christian in an AEW ring in 2023 in a main event segment on the fourth anniversary of a uh, of alternative to WWE. It was just crazy to kind of uh it took a minute for me to kind of absorb that and then the promo work from Adam Copeland when he has something to sink his teeth into he makes you believe it he takes you on a story and from his promo work alone where he teased the matches with John Moxley with Miro with Kenny Omega and such and then uh, teasing the tag team matches with FTR and the Young Bucks and foreshadowing the whole yeah. story that they're about to tell over the next six months, saying that Luchasaurus and Nick Wayne are just going to uh, absorb all the knowledge you have in your head, and they're going to turn their back on you, and you're not even going to see it because you're so egotistical. But this is not you. I learned that this is not the kid that used to get his haircut like Sting. You're about to concerto Sting. Like I love, I love when he gets like that, and it's not over the top hair pulling, eyes bugged out. Like this was him, very passionate, seeking his teeth into something and you believed every word of it because he took a little bit of realism and created a whole story for you and then christian cage with the excellent response christian cage is the best heel in professional wrestling today and it's just ridiculous how far ahead where with three words he just accomplished everything (laughs) just go after yourself (laughs) so good walks out dude something i was thinking while i was watching this too and i said this to my brother I was like, <clears throat> think about how OG Sting is. That like Edge and Christian were growing up watching Sting. Like they're they're old and veterans at this point. And like their story is like, when we were growing up watching Sting, you would never do this to Sting. And it's like, dude, that's crazy. These guys are like, like, cause you you'd expect like someone like more like our age to maybe have like that story, or even like Cody, like being like almost forty. Like Edge and Christian are like getting way up there 
and like they've, they've i mean edge has been in the edge has been wrestling for 31 years and he got into the business when he was you know a young adult so i mean it's it's wild to think like that's how long sting has been around at a high level so i like that this also ties into like keeping sting over in AEW. Yeah. like you know it's a, it was so important for edge to come and save sting and he's never wrestled sting and 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 also i know i, I don't know if this is like a coincidence or not but it also kind of feels like you know we we know that cody has talked about how there was going to be a story between him and sting that was going to eventually like lead to his heel turn and stuff like that like they were going to do that in AEW, sting versus cody eventually um but obviously cody left and then we had cm punk in there and i don't know if they were going to go with cm punk versus sting at any point but like they were teaming a lot like they do like uh like six man tags eight man tags and stuff all together him darby uh they had hook involved on that show that i was at turned out to be the last collision that uh punk was on actually and um and now i kind of feel like edge is maybe kind of getting that role where it's like all right well we don't have punk here but like we'll do edge and he get edge can be like the veteran who teams with with sting and darby and like and uh, you can work an ftr right you can work that into because eventually i think we're gonna get everything that edge said in the promo it's just a matter of like in what order this this comes i did think it was kind of interesting too where like it was almost like the uh like when vince mcmahon took over wcw and he did that promo on on raw and he was like yeah he was like he was saying names of wcw talent and it you could tell it was like a litmus test for like who should we bring in and who shouldn't we and and edge kind of did the same thing where he's like us versus ftr Massive pop. Us versus Young Bucks. Massive pop. You know, me versus um, Kenny Omega. Omega. Massive pop. And then he's like, me versus Miro. And they're like, uh. <laughs> like, like, that didn't get a pop at all. No, it did. It did. I mean, did. I'm just, I'm just, I got to keep it real and throw it out there. Like, I, but I'm, the, not, I, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not trashing Miro, by the way. I'm just saying, like, there was a noticeable difference in, like, the interest in, yeah. and I think that, and I think that's, like, across the board, honestly, for Miro and AEW. I think, I think people like him, but he needs, like, a very specific build and push for it to work. And it's, like, the same exact build and push you need out of, like, a Wardlow and stuff. Like, I just feel like we see a lot of the similar type of, um, but anyway, I just thought that was interesting. Like, he named a lot of stuff that I'm interested in seeing, but he also named Miro, and I felt like no one was really feeling that. So I just want to kind of throw that out there. I, I think I think Miro right now he still needs more rebuilding and they really haven't capitalized on the reaction his matchup with Hobbs got at all out. So I think that's another another issue because they're kind of slow birding this whole story with CJ Perry managing people like we saw her on this week, but we didn't see Miro. Miro hasn't really had a matchup since all out. So that's not capitalizing. And I mean in general that's very true. Yeah, in general very often. Yeah. In general, they had a lot of people that I felt had momentum coming out of All Out, and they have done nothing for a lot of them. Outside of, like, Ricky Starks. Ricky Starks, he continued his feud with Brian Daniels and picked up the win at, at AEW Wrestle Dream, but Orange Cassidy has been used poorly since All Out. Um, Miro and Hobbs until last night got, was getting used poorly since All Out in the match that they had. Konosuke Takeshita should feel like a bigger deal and should be a contender for the AEW world championship after you beat the longest reigning aew world champion in history so in general i don't i think they had momentum out of all out and they didn't capitalize on it i'm hoping we don't say the same thing after wrestle dream 
But yeah, I think that that's the reason why Miro didn't get much of a response. But Adam Copeland, I think there was a reason why they were teasing him and Kenny Omega because they showed that as the first segment of the show. Because I thought it was weird. They went backstage to Renee and uh, Jericho and Omega. And I was like, what? why are we doing this? And then Adam Copeland came. I was like, OK, this makes sense. You're, you're teasing this. You're getting you're getting all four of the big Canadians on camera at the same time. And you're also teasing Copeland versus is uh omega and omega killed me with you had me on the edge of my seat on sunday (laughs) that That was awesome stuff but i I think that we're gonna get adam copeland versus kenny omega next year honestly i i love that edge kind of foreshadow how the story's gonna go and i think that they can pull that off and it can be great but i also think it would be great if we had if they got to the big Christian Cage Adam Copeland matchup with the stipulation that if Adam Copeland loses, he has to join the Christian coalition. I think that's a better way to get us to edge and Christian together is that 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 Christian makes makes Adam Copeland subservient to him because that is always how people viewed it the other way around. They yes. always viewed Christian as the sidekick to to edge so i think that it would be very cool if they told the story of christian solely manipulating after manipulating adam copeland to come over to the dark side after he loses to him in a one-on-one match i actually love that idea and i i agree too about like and I, this is actually a good comment too by uh, jeff valley driver um he mentioned I did laugh because Christian literally did all that stuff to sing in TNA, yes. which is, which yes. is, a, I mean, that's a point that I honestly didn't think about, but yeah. He Christian turned has... heel. That was how he turned heel yeah. in TNA. That's He's right. a trade sting. He cost him the NWA World Heavyweight Championship. Yeah, that that's that's a really great uh, shout out uh, throwback there um, from Jeff Valley Driver. That's because, yeah, we're, we're, I, I did. I did forget there that, that Christian and Singh were in TNA together for, for quite some time. Um, but yeah, that said, and, and I feel the same way. And I think it's an, it's an, um, it's like an interesting and like a really cool opportunity for them to kind of flip the roles. Like you said, cause in WWE now, granted, I'm not like the most locked in WWE view. I mean, I just talked about how I left raw for one hour, you know, I have free tickets to a three hour show. You know what I mean? But like, I, I know I obviously paid enough attention. I talked, we talked about WWE on this show and stuff like that. And with Edge's return to WWE, like it was awesome to see him come back in 2020 at the Rumble, and that's like one of my. I, if I remember correctly, did was that the same day Kobe passed? Like it was right around the same time. I remember it was like Kobe passed, and like the Royal Rumble was like right around the same yeah. time. Yeah, yeah, it was and, that weekend. It was and that I weekend. and I remember that so like just being like it's like a it's like in my mind altogether like that because I remember the Kobe death being like such like it was just so sad. And yeah. I was supposed to go to like some viewing party for the Raw Rumble that day, and I couldn't even go because I was like, right. I, was I know like, you're a lifelong Lakers fan, so, yeah. so it's like, I mean, it hits you even harder. Actually, geez, as random as this is, I happen to have this. I was just rearranging my stuff uh, the other day. I've got a Kobe rookie card sitting here that I that I bought back when it came out. I, man, anyway, rest in peace to Kobe. Nice. I um, but it. anyway, I remember being like really, it was a very sad, you know, time, and then I remember Edge. Uh, coming back and that being like a real like a real high point it was like oh this is awesome like it's great to see edge back this made it made me feel really good to see him back and like in the spirits and everything and the reason i remember all this so well is because like that's honestly my last like real happy like memory before 
COVID and everything locked down was like yeah. Edge coming back. And then it felt like not long after, like the whole world changed. And um, and then by the next year, if I remember correctly, Edge entered the Royal Rumble at number one and won the whole thing. And then yes. went on to WrestleMania for the triple threat against Roman and, and Danielson. Yes. And um, but then but then after that, it feels like like the Judgment Day thing didn't hit right, but like they they've they've totally changed course on that like it's working now but like his version and original like image of it like didn't work and like i remember like they changed his theme music they changed his look even my brother like the one thing he was saying because he likes edge too but he was like because he hadn't seen him in wwe in like a while and he was like what's up with the hair dude like you gotta like what happened to like the like the flowing locks like like come on I mean, um, it was looking kind of raggedy uh, yeah. before he made that cut, though. But see, my brother didn't see that, though. So he doesn't know. <laughs> he, he, just, he just thinks of Edge, and he's thinking of like, like yeah. the, like the, like the shampoo commercial versus Booker T era of like Edge. Um, I actually have. I'll probably wear it next week. I don't want to like run off off stream right now, but I, I just remembered when you were talking about like dressing up, like you know, uh, Edge and Christian and stuff, and like being like a fan. I've got one of those rated R superstar beanies that they used to sell on WWE shop. Nice. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll wear one of those, like those camo ones. I was very, very, very much in the rated R superstar. I thought it was like a very, it was so needed at the time because Cena, Cena needed a top heel and edge was ready. And they had been like preparing him for that for so long already up to that point, like to, to be like a guy with like the intercontinental title runs he had had and, and yeah. everything. So like I was I was more of a Cena fan during their feud. Like I I described by 2005, like when Edge was on the come up, that's when I went into my overdrive. I feel like I am a pioneer of the argument Christian greater than Edge. Because back in 2005, I was saying that to people. I was like, Christian's better than Edge. I was like the whole Captain Charisma, the whole Peeps, the mm -hmm. the, the the segments with the Rock and stuff like CLB. That. Like, CLB yeah. like I was like he's always funny he's always kind of underrated that was after the whole Trish Stratus uh uh Chris Jericho story and Tyson Tomko I was like yeah I was like I'm, I'm with Christian this is when Edge was out and then Edge came back and the fans wasn't feeling him as a baby face for a little bit there and stuff like that and you know they still they still got behind him especially after the whole Matt Hardy and Lita drama but I was heavy into Christian and when he made the jump into TNA that's when I remember like actively being a fan of TNA was Christian making the jump over and I was just into his whole journey beating Jeff Jarrett for the NWA World's Championship like I said uh turning heel on Sting feuding with Sting and Samoa Joe, the whole Christian coalition with Tyson Tomko and AJ Styles, like his whole TNA run. I was telling people, yeah, yeah, Edge. Oh, it's cool what Edge doing over there, but Christian's better than him. Christian's yeah. greater than. Him. We have one of the biggest like misses around that time with Christian was in the WWE. Was I remember they had him feuding with Cena, but then they like and never did the pay per view match. They, he they, literally they morphed it into him and. Him. It was like what? him and Jericho and Cena. They wanted to do like a triple. They had. They felt like they needed to include Jer. And Jericho's my favorite, like ever. But like, yeah. even I was like, "That sucks for Christian." Like, like they should have like give Christian a shot, you know. And and we also know after all the like, apparently Vince McMahon thought so little of Christian. He wanted to cover his face with like a like a dot or something. Like he just thinks he's ugly, you know. It's like they were never gonna go with him there. It just wasn't gonna happen because Vince just didn't see it. But like. Even guys like Randy Orton will say, "Yeah, my favorite opponent, like ever, is Christian." When 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 Christian was the they had his short world title run, everyone was like, "He deserves this." Like, thank God that Christian's finally getting some flowers here because we've all seen it forever. 
And then so, he got screwed over a couple of days later. Yeah, he lost it like right away. Um, like on SmackDown, right? It was just like yeah. uh like a TV loss. And it got title. and it was that's this is back folks when SmackDown was taped. Right. So, so we knew, knew about it. Yeah. We knew about it for a few days and then had to watch it. It was like, nah, they didn't really do that. They didn't really yeah. do that. And then you watched it, he was like, nah, they really did that to Christian. Yeah. They really but, but did not- that to him. But now the the, the, the the roles have definitely flipped, at least perception-wise, for me, and it sounds like for you and for a lot of other people, too. And I know Jeremy's always been on board with this because Jeremy is not an edge guy, but he loves Christian. Is like, Christian, I agree with you. I think Christian is the best heel in all of wrestling right now. I know that that's uh, its opinion. That's an opinion. Uh, you know, you can you can say Roman Reigns, but I also think Roman Reigns like has a coolness factor to him as well that like there's a lot of fans of him. Like Christian's yeah. just like hated. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Dominic, I understand the argument there, maybe because like he gets a lot of heat, but it's also like it's almost all, it's some uh, kind of on the line along the lines of like when it was fun to boo John Cena and stuff. Like it's just it's the fun thing to do to see how much you can boo Dominic Mysterio at the show. And they're real boos, by the way. I don't know how much they pipe this stuff in, but when I was at Raw before I left, I did see um Judgment Day come out, and Dominic did legitimately get booed out of that building. Like he, yeah, it was it was I, very. Oh loud. no. I 100% uh, think that it's it's definitely real booze. What I have accused WWE of is, and it's quite obvious, especially when if you watch Raw and then watch NXT this week, they lower his mic on Raw because they didn't lower his mic sense. on NXT. They didn't sense. lower his mic on NXT, so we were able to hear him. But they do lower his mic on Raw, so all we mostly hear is the booze. That makes sense. That's actually, that's actually smart by the WWE. That's, yeah, that's, it, it, it's, it's, it's smart. Yeah. It's smart production. Yeah. I'm not I'm not saying, oh, that's a cheap way. No, no, no. I'm not saying. Yeah. I'm saying I peep game. It's yeah. cool. No. It's cool, <laughs> that, that totally makes sense. That, dude, that's better than piping in crowd noise. Like, I think it's better to, like, just manipulate the microphone a little bit so you sound like you're being drowned out more than, like, making it obvious that you're putting fake noise in there. Yeah. So, um, no, that, that's, yeah. Yeah, but but I guess my, kind of my point with that was that Christian, like if I had to choose right now, like Christian or Edge, I'm taking Christian all day. If you're going based on like Edge's like just kind of recent WWE run, not that it was a bad run, it just felt over like underwhelming for like for who he is. Um, so now you have this opportunity to do Edge versus Christian, and then Edge and Christian teaming together eventually, and just knock out all these dream matches and and some stuff we haven't seen in a long time, like. You know, the Hardy boys are really kind of like floundering right now in AEW. Like there's not really anything for them. They're losing to like, I know that the the Righteous had a title match and stuff. They needed to build them before the pay-per-view and whatnot. But like, like if you just feel like the Hardy boys aren't being treated like, no. like stars, you know, or, and, and, but you know, Edge and Christian versus the Hardy boys, like people would pay to see that at least one more time, you know, especially with some sort of get, like, I'm not necessarily saying these guys should go out there and kill themselves and do like TLC matches and stuff like that. But you know, people would love to see like the Hardy Boys versus Edge and Christian ladder match, like one Just more time. Do, you know, do the Hardys, Edge and Christian, Young Bucks, and Lucha Bros. So they yeah. do all the spots and the bumps, and we just have Hardys and 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 uh, Copeland and Christian coping Christian uh, <laughs> in the in the matchup. Like they can, you can, you need just need more bodies in there with them. Yes, and people in the chat are agreeing about uh, Christian being the best heel in wrestling, and and it, it is it's the like Jeff like Jeff saying he's saying zero cool factor pure mm. pure evil, and that's yeah. that's. It's true. I mean, and that's why it's working so well. His delivery is ice cold. 
He's, he, he seems to have no empathy at all for anybody. He's using cheap shots and low-hanging fruit, which I usually don't like in wrestling because I think it is cheap. Like, you know, people know that I rip on LA Knight and stuff all the time because I think he's a lot of his gimmick is just like low-hanging fruit. Like anybody can just go out and do and say what he's doing, but like he's getting a reaction, so I can't take that away from him. But like Christian using the dead parents thing, like the the, the, the asking how people's dads are and all this stuff, that like that's so cheap. Like it's the cheapest heat possible, but because I can't really remember anybody being this like blatant about something like that, it works yeah. so well. Cause like, as he's saying it, you're just like, because, because uh, and even, even in real life, because we all know that, that Jay, the human being, I don't want to ruin anyone's time here, but like, he's a good dude. I've, I've seen videos of him, like, like messing with fans like recently like being just totally rude to fans and stuff like that but then like when the camera's kind of cut off you can tell him like he'll go to the kids and be like listen like it's it's okay you know what i mean like he's he's not trying to actually ruin people's lives here but like he is trying to make people hate him yes and and his delivery everything's so good and he he extends it so well into the the press conferences like when these when these pay-per-views are over and they do these media scrums he is so locked in and in character and he answers all these questions, just like he's talking on the television show. Like he doesn't have any friends. He doesn't care about anybody else. And even like the media will be like asking him a question. It's like, how's your father doing? And you're just like, the media scrum was the best. That was the best media scrum. He made people uncomfortable. Yes. They were afraid to ask questions. They were afraid to ask him questions in that thing. You can tell. Like, listen, shout, shout out to Kate from Fightful. I think she did a great job in that. Yes. I was actually DMing her while she was there. And I was like, this is, you're doing a great job in this thing. Because yes. not, not because she, she always does anyways. You know, I, I being Kate or friends, I, I love Kate. But like, yes. 100%. But I, and I have nothing against the other people in that room. Because I don't really know most of the people in that room. But when I was listening to it, I was like, there's a lot of people in here who are legitimately afraid to ask questions or they're asking like Mark questions. Like there were people and they're asking certain stuff where I was like, you have a, you have a chance to, to ask anything. Right. And I, I get thought anything, there are going to be limits. So certain stuff people aren't going to want to talk about, but some of this stuff, I was like, there's a, I'm the biggest wrestling fan in the world, but like, you got to, I don't know. I don't want to sit here and rip on people, but it's one of those <laughs> things where while, while I was watching it, I think the wrestlers, especially Christian do a great job in these things. Yeah. And I think a lot of the media does do a great job. There are some people in there that I love that I've listened to forever, but in some of this, I'm just like, you legitimately sound like you're, you're, you're intimidated right now to ask these questions. And like, that's, it just sounds, it sounds too Markish to me. Like you're, I don't know. It's just a weird look. I mean, I listen, I'm a giant Mark. When I interview wrestlers, there's plenty of times where I'm like, I'm so happy we're doing this. I'm such a big fan and stuff like that. But I'm like, not afraid to ask some questions. Like you're there to ask questions. You've been invited and credentialed to ask questions. So like yeah. ask questions. Don't, don't, don't be afraid to talk to the wrestlers. There's, and also, by the way, if a wrestler is sitting up there next to Tony Khan, I'd ask the, the wrestler a question preferably because Tony is going to probably take time afterwards and answer like exactly. everything you want. And I think people will have missed opportunities in those where they'll have the wrestler next to Tony and they'll be asking Tony questions and the wrestlers only got so much time and so many questions they're going to answer. It's missed opportunities. You need to ask the wrestlers questions because Tony will eventually circle back to everything you want to talk about afterwards. So just some, just some tips for, you know, from somebody who wasn't there, just not, not from, the, I, from a guy who wasn't in the room. <laughs> For a guy who doesn't like traveling, will never go on an airplane again, and like isn't invited anyways. I and it wasn't like, even for a wrestling yeah. trip; it was for a wedding, but it was for Jeremy Lambert. So the only time I've on an airplane in a long time was for Jeremy Lambert, and that is the last time I will ever go on an airplane. We don't need to go into that story again. 
Um, but uh, well, this is glorious, but, glorious, glorious. But no, no I, I, I do agree. I do agree with you. Yeah. You gotta, you gotta use those opportunities better. They ain't never gonna get me in a Tony Khan media scrum. I don't know. I don't know, Tony. Maybe you're watching this. I don't know why you don't like me, but I'm here. I'm, I'm a nice person. I cover AEW a lot, so you can let me in the media scrum. I'm not gonna. You don't have to fear for your life. Um, but yeah, uh, <laughs> Christian was fantastic during that media scrum, and he's just commitment to his character. I feel like it's rubbing off on a lot of other people because I would make the argument that right now AEW has four of the best, like five characters in wrestling in Christian Cage, Tony Storm. Oh, excuse me. Timeless Tony Storm, right. uh, Roddy Strong, and Julia Hart. I think that all of them are kind of just having the best character runs of their career. You know, of someone like Julia Hart is very early in her career, but she has been a ratings draw, which has always been a point of contention when someone asks somebody, oh, Tony, why you don't book more than one women's match? Well, you know, the ratings and such and such. Julia Hart was the top ratings draw on an episode of a collision that had Brian Danielson versus Ricky Starks and FTR title match and Jay White versus Andrade Elidio. We need to pay attention to Julia Hart. And unfortunately, you know, of course, well, fortunately, excuse me, uh, congratulations to her. She's getting married. So she's going to be taking some time off along with her, along with uh, Lee Johnson. But I hope they kind of make her a priority whenever she is back because they have something there. And they also have something with Chris Statlander as far as the in-ring work because she's been excelling at that. So the women's division has two great characters, has someone like Chris Statlander who's been a great champion. They can do something with Soraya right now because that's the kind of the only kind of lingering part of this that needs to pick up. But as far as like character work overall, it's been a lot better. And the storytelling has been a lot tighter with AEW over the last month. Well, speaking of a uh, great character work and some of the great matches you just mentioned, uh, we can transition here into uh, your AEW spotlight this week. And we'll talk a little bit about uh, Brian Danielson versus Zack Sabre Jr. from Russell Dream. Um, you wanted to kind of uh, explore the question of whether or not this is the greatest technical wrestling match of all time. Um, and just honestly, depending on what you like in wrestling, one of, I, I'm sure this is probably some people's favorite match ever or like way up there on a list. And I, and I know, and I know that we have recency bias. Like, I mean, something just happened. Something that is hard to really gauge, you know, for, for real. But I mean, I'm also not going to sit here and like, say if that was your favorite match ever that I would have a problem with that. I mean, like if, if that's, if that's your type of wrestling and, and by the way, I thought it was fantastic. And I think I'll just quickly just give my some quick thoughts here. and I'll turn it over to you. Yeah. I think um, one thing that I saw was really interesting about this. And I, I could tell that it is clearly a part of the story. Cause I'd imagine we'll get like a trilogy or something out of these two guys. Um, that it was a technical wrestling match, move for move, hold for hold the whole, the whole way. And then Danielson used multiple, running knee strikes to get the win, which is not a technical wrestling move. And I think that's going to be the point of contention going forward of like, okay, we kind of agreed to have a wrestling match. You hit me with strikes to finish this thing. The next time we do this, we're going to find out who the real best technical wrestler is. And that's going to be ZSJ's opportunity, I think, to win in a rematch. That's just my, my, and then I think we'll get like a big trilogy or something, but SP3, what do you think about this match? Do you think it was the best technical wrestling match you've ever seen? And um, do you agree with me about the finish leading to like more stuff between the two? 
Oh yeah, most definitely to start off with the with the finish, it's definitely leading to more. You you could tell that when ZSJ turned down the handshake, handshake. Yep. you saw that with the you know the online exclusive that had his promo where he challenged him to face him on his home turf of England or his adopted home turf of Japan. And it, it after this matchup, that makes a strong argument for that to be uh, the Wrestle Kingdom matchup. You know, I yeah. still feel like uh, Kashiko Okada versus Brian Danielson is going to be the matchup because Okada doesn't have a ready-made uh, Wrestle Kingdom matchup right now. But as far as this matchup here, I'm sorry, just real quick on that because you are because you you fall into Japan way more closely than I do nowadays. Yeah. Is that? And I know this is built in AEW anyways, but do you th- do you think Danielson and Okada, because the last time they wrestled, Danielson got hurt and they couldn't really like have like the full match they wanted to, so they'll run it back? Is that kind of your thoughts? Yes. And, and I thought I thought that with if the if the original plan was Brian Danielson winning that matchup, they were going to run it back anyway. Sure. Because they, they felt like going into that matchup that Okada was going to win and we we're going to do one and done. But with Brian winning, it felt like they were setting up that they were going to run this back in New Japan. And that was going to be Brian's first New Japan matchup against the top guy. It just makes sense. Wrestle Kingdom, you do that matchup to go along with maybe an Osprey and Omega 3 and Sonata and, and Naito for the IWGP title. So as far as this matchup, Brian Danielson and Zack Sabre Jr., as far as it being the best technical wrestling match I've ever seen, yes. Like, this is, like, it was, like, pure old school. And it's very rare that I'm able to watch back a matchup, like, immediately the next day or just uh, just prior to, like, reviewing the show. But I had to with this matchup because I was, like, I was, like, there was, like, little things that were hitting me after the matchup. I was, like, well, I don't think they left the ring at all. <laughs> like, and... And the story of the matchup, and it's just all the things that came together. If you saw my star ratings, you follow me at True Hill SP3. I rated this match six stars. I've Ooh. only rated four other matches ever six stars. I'm not. I've only rated four other matches ever above five stars. I think that were the like, rest of them like Omega and Okada. Outside and like- of outside of retroactively rating uh, Bret the Hitman Hart versus Stone Cold Steve Austin from WrestleMania 13, I feel like that's like the most important WWE matchup of all time, the greatest double turn of all time, and sure. that's a timeless matchup. I literally can go back like every other year and watch, and I will still rate it six stars. It's it's one of the perfect, most perfect matches ever in WWE history, especially. But that one matchup, other than that. All the other matchups that I've rated above five stars involve Kenny Omega, Kashiko Okada, or Will Ospreay. Two Will Ospreay sense. versus yeah. Kenny Omega matches and one Okada and uh, an Omega matchup, which was the fourth match. Every other Okada Omega matchup. I can't I think I rated it five stars, but that was the one matchup I was like, no, this is like the end game. This is like the Avengers end game of wrestling matches that deserves six stars. And the two Osprey Omega matches, like Forbidden Door was just so phenomenal that I was like, okay, I already gave Wrestle Kingdom six stars. I kind of have to go six stars here, even though I think Wrestle Kingdom is better. And that's my match of the year right now. And I got to remind people, I've been reminding people on every platform, start thinking about your match of the year and start thinking about your end of the year awards, because it's going to be really tough for a lot of these awards. But I think I've numbered it down from match of the year from Wrestle Kingdom, Osprey Omega. And then this match, Brian and Zack Sabre Jr., I edge over Osprey and Omega 2 from Forbidden Door as the best AEW match I've seen this year because it was just art. 
and it was just so pure the submissions and the story of the matchup and then the commentary the all-time commentary performance because people are talking about john moxley and john moxley is basically the aew's answer to pat mcafee we have not seen someone with that much enthusiasm behind the mic watching a professional wrestling match and just being absorbed and be being a fan behind the commentary desk since pat mcafee and this was the extreme version this was stan marsh of south park at the softball game version of commentary that was john moxley and then what people are not paying attention to the reason why this is an all-time commentary performance was nigel mcginnis nigel mcginnis gave us one of the best heel commentary performances this was jesse ventura watching hulk hogan this is bobby the brain he didn't watching hulk hogan this was like pure 80s old school heel hatred for somebody when he has when brian's in the arm submission with both arms tied behind his back he's like i gotta get up and see this you're a tire now brian think about your wife and then you hear moxley with the all-time great commentary response where he's trying to hold the mic off so you hear him trying to muffle and he says come on brian f that guy yeah i love that <laughs> oh so my good. god i never marked out and laughed so much during such a great matchup in my life and just what these guys did it was art it was beautiful to watch and it was superb storytelling of the whole where uh john moxley laid it out that uh zach saber jr comes in with a strategy He's going to get you with a with an arm submission. If he doesn't get you with the arm submission, in six seconds, he moves to the leg. He adds the leg to the submission, or he moves to a leg submission. He's very strategic. He'll start at your leg, and he'll move all the way up to your neck. Brian is more reactive. He's going to take whatever hold you do, and he has a counter for it. So that created the whole story for the matchup. And then you have the second gear of the matchup where Zach says, you know what? This whole grappling and stuff ain't working. I'm going to bait you. This is what I. This is what Zach does in all his matches. Watch his matches with Ishii, Shigo Takagi, all the New Japan hard hitters. He baits them into throwing strikes so he can get a submission on them. With Brian, he baited him into using his bad arm so he could start working over his arm. It was just brilliant storytelling before our eyes. And they, like, called it before it was happening where he's like, oh, he's like, use your good arm, you bollocks. <laughs> I was like... Oh my God, it was art at his best. It's some of the best storytelling we have seen this year. The best technical wrestling matchup, honestly, for Brian Danielson, who has been robbed of plenty of five-star matches. I, I had at least three off the top of my head from his Ring of Honor run with Kenta, with Nigel McGuinness, and with Takeshi Morishima that he should have got five-star with. So all these AEW matches, it's great to see him getting the five stars he deserves. This one deserves six stars because I feel even though Brian Daniels is, is the greatest wrestler of all time, this may have been his best match ever. And it's definitely Zack Sabre Jr.'s best match ever. I love that. I really can't add much more to that. I think that's uh, perfectly said. I, I will just uh, elaborate a little bit on the commentary because I think John Moxley did a fantastic job with every match that he came out there for. Like um, in the pre-show, he did the commentary for Josh Barnett versus Claudio and I'm obviously very familiar with Josh Barnett. I watched his UFC run. I remember him as, for people who don't know, he was the first, or the youngest, I should say, UFC heavyweight champion. He was stripped of the title because of uh, uh, popping hot for PEDs. Um, and he has like a history of that, to be completely honest. He basically got the affliction promotion shut down because he tested positive. Anyways, 
but he is a he is an absolute legend in catch wrestling and mixed martial arts. I mean, I have nothing but respect for Josh Barnett. He just he just has a, a checkered history of of yeah. PDs. It just it's just impossible to to not know about it. But but my point is as like as a legend of what he does, John Moxley did such a good job of like making him feel like such a big deal to people who wouldn't know who he is. Like he yeah. did such a good job of like just making people know that he's a big deal and how much he cared. And, and also letting people know that he learns from Josh Barnett and then takes those skills and, and teaches them to the BCC. So Josh Barnett is kind of like a member of the BCC. Yeah. People just don't really see and stuff like that. So I thought, uh, I thought it was really well done. I love Moxley on commentary and he's like, uh, he's like a way, like I, I, I love Pat McAfee's enthusiasm, the same kind of way that I love Don West's enthusiasm. Like I yes. think that guys like that are awesome in, in pro wrestling commentary, as long as there's like a guy next to them that like a Tony, like a, like a um, Mike Tanay or someone like that, who, who knows the business and, or an Excalibur who like, who knows the business. Um, but for, for Moxley, he's a mix of both. He's the enthusiasm and the encyclopedia. So like, yeah. if he ever stops wrestling and wants to do commentary, like, I never thought about that before until I, but he would be Me too. fantastic to do that going forward for one of these companies if he ever wanted to. Um, but uh, that said, we do need to move on to the WWE topic, but I, I agree with you. I think Danielson versus uh, ZSJ was absolutely incredible. All right. We are going to talk some WWE. I need to finish the story. In the WWE, the story never finishes. All right. Well, hopefully we're not still in the third. We are. <laughs> hope we're hope, hope we're getting to the seven inning stretch soon. Hopefully, man. Oh my gosh. Hopefully, it's, hopefully it's not a double header. <laughs> no, we have, we have, no, 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 no. This is uh, brought that idea. Watch, watch us get to the bottom of the ninth. Roman retains. They're like game two coming up next. We're like. I mean, oh, since yeah. SummerSlam, it feels like they've been switching pitchers. That like, we're still in the yeah. third inning, but they just keep switching pitchers, and they still got one out. <laughs> Yeah, listen, we all know that Roman won't drop the title to WrestleMania. What we aren't considering is it might be WrestleMania like 46 by the time that happens. It's, so. 40, it's 41, folks, because uh, Cody was supposed to have 40, but, you know, that got pushed up after a whole scandal and stuff. So The Rock got pushed back to 40, and now Cody's going to get 41. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty much what, yeah, anyway. <laughs> at this point, like if, if, if Roman gets past the rock at wrestlemania which if they do that match i expect roman to beat the rock that'd be a travesty if the rock was the one to to end all this but honestly if if roman got past um the rock and retained at wrestlemania 40 i would honestly have him hold it until he beats bruno i would just have the i'd have the the title that that seth currently holds that everyone else can compete for that i just have at that point i just have roman just hold it until he beats bruno's streak and just be like if you want to rewrite history that badly just do it at least at least roman's the right guy you know like, yeah you know you're not gonna have another opportunity to do this ever so um, i'm not necessarily advocating for it i'm just saying at this point we're already so invested in like if you get past another wrestlemania just you might as well just be like the forever champion at that point i mean um cody's just you know, whatever <laughs> they've be they beaten you into submission steven johnson if cody doesn't win the, the title by this year at wrestlemania like i mean i'm just like not invested anymore i don't i don't know what to tell you um but the uh, i'm invested in cody still but like i've just given up hope that like he you know anyway it's whatever he'll finish um, his story yeah it's a, well he'll finish the story but it'll be a different story and like it just won't be as satisfying as a, as a finish uh, he needs to he needs to be the one to beat roman but that's a whole other conversation we do have WWE Fast Lane coming up, which does tie into this a bit. Um, I'm gonna give you some quick, uh, some quick thoughts on some of the matches here, some quick predictions here on the show. 
Um, so first off, wanted to bring up uh, Seth Rollins, Roshinsuke Nakamura. I know you have some thoughts on this feud and like kind of the relevancy or like how, how well it's been put together and stuff. I'll say this. Um, I think that, you know, I've always loved Shinsuke. I know you're a huge new Japan fan. My favorite wrestler in the history of new Japan is Shinsuke Nakamura. Um, I, that's when I like, I started describing to new Japan world while he was like the intercontinental champion for them and stuff. And like, I, I loved his, his, ent- his when he entered into NXT and the sub and, you know, with Sami Zayn and everything, but I just never felt like, Nakamura feels like he's at his peak performance level right now in the WWE. Like he's looking better than he's ever looked with the way he's being presented. I think as a heel, I love his actual look too. like the all black, like putting some color in his hair. Like, you know, he just, he just, he looks way more like a star that like they're actually treating like a star and presenting like a star. The one thing I'd change, I've been saying this forever. I don't like his ring gear. I think it looks goofy. Like the full, the full body thing that he wears. Yeah. But outside of that, like that doesn't take away from his inner ring work course which then people always have the thing he just wants to surf he's lazy blah 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 that's the wwe in general like everybody finds their their niche in wwe and like like even Shawn michaels when he returned after injury he also had his like routine of like the abdominal drop the 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 punch the the elbow drop he had like his whole body slam elbow drop toot up the band never hits the super kick then block (laughs) reversal so hit super kick out of nowhere that's what john michaels right but he was known as like an an innovator a guy who like wasn't like that but then when he came back to wwe it's like oh this is kind of the formula that like works forever and obviously people have done that forever hulk hogan had his five moves john cena had his five moves all that kind of stuff but like randy orton too yeah for sure but and that's my whole point though is like nakamura has that too he has his greatest hits he that's how they lay out the WWE matches. Yeah. And um, and I think Rollins is doing some of the best work of his career as well. But it's interesting because we all know Rollins has a has a hurt back, or at least that's like kind of a big story going to this is like how long can he sustain doing this? How long can he hold this championship? Um, so my question to you, SP3, is how do you feel about the build of this? Because this has been going on for a while now. It is a last man standing match. Nakamura um attacked Rollins yesterday or on Monday on Raw and uh and counted 10 himself to try to foreshadow that he could that he could do this and beat him um how do you feel about the feud and do you think there's any chance Nakamura actually wins the title or do you think it's a foregone conclusion Rollins retains and he moves on to something else after this I think this whole feud has been the best character work of Shinsuke Nakamura's entire WWE run the presentation the the promo work with the Japanese letting him speak Japanese and having the subtitles this has been the best uh job WWE has done to presenting Nakamura like a star like a main eventer and uh, Seth Rollins I think is a top three top five worker in entire wwe and i think there is a reason why wwe put the world heavyweight championship on him because he earned that because he has been a workhorse for this company for so many years for the better part of the last decade for 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 the last decade pretty much since he debuted with the shield back in november of 2012 all of that saying there's a few problems with this folks one, to answer uh, Steven Jensen's question, I don't think there's a chance since say Nakamura's winning this. Neither he, do I. They had the best chance to do it at Payback, and they didn't do it. So I don't think they're going to do it anymore. I feel like this is just Shinsuke Nakamura versus AJ Styles, just with better presentation. This is this is all this is, and it doesn't center around the low blow. It's just Nakamura getting a series of World Heavyweight Championship matches that ends in a last man standing match that he loses. 
literally what we did in 2018 with AJ Styles. That's literally what we did. We got more pay-per-view matches out of that, but this is a two-month program. For a two-month program, it was done well, but overall, the main problem with this whole program is it feels so secondary. And that's the issue with Seth Rollins as world heavyweight champion in general. And I I pinpointed all the issues that were going on in the early days of his title run, of giving open challenges, people getting title matches that didn't earn it. Braun Breaker, who lost an NXT championship matchup, then saying, I want a world heavyweight championship match, and Seth Rollins going to the developmental to defend the world heavyweight championship. I was like, all of these things are defining down this world heavyweight championship. And throughout the Shinsuke Nakamura feud, it has never once main evented an episode of Raw. Not even once. But also, this also paralleled, ran against like, uh, Cody versus Brock, which was no title involved and was viewed as the main story. Yeah, that was. Yeah, that right. definitely that definitely right. was. But it wasn't even running at the same time. It ran immediately after. This started after SummerSlam because I feel like we oh, could trace back. We could trace back to SummerSlam with a lot of issues with what's going on with WWE right now. One, you did. Wait, not hold on, hold on. Sorry, sorry. I don't mean to cut you off. But 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 Rollins had the title during the during the during Cody, yeah yeah but, yeah but yeah, 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 the, yeah the Shinsuke yeah. thing started after. But yeah, my, you know, my point my know, point is Rollins as the champion like. Even like the Cody and, and Brock stuff like seem more important than Rollins having that title. Like you know yes. what I mean? Yeah, no, what I'm, what I'm yeah, that's what I'm saying. I agree with you that yeah, it felt secondary to Cody and Brock. And even in his own feud, when he was feuding with Finn Battler, it felt like Seth Rollins is in the judgment day storyline. It didn't feel like Seth Rollins is feuding with Finn Balor. Seth Rollins is feuding with the Judgment Day. No, it felt like Seth Rollins has been inserted into what's going on with the Judgment Day. And that's why I said you can go back to SummerSlam and trace back a lot of problems. They did not have a plan for Cody Rhodes after Brock Lesnar. They should have probably put the title on Finn Balor because Seth Rollins' World Heavyweight title run for the past two months feels so secondary to the Judgment Day. It feels it's not even funny how secondary it feels. And then this week, they had Gunther and Tommaso Ciampa main event, which I think is great that they have in more bigger AC title matches on Raw, but that feels bigger than the Intercontinental title. So you're the third most important thing, and you're supposed to be the top title on the show? It just feels so secondary. And I I, I had a couple of people comment when I put this on Twitter, and it, I kind of said they were right when they said, Maybe Seth Rollins is one of those guys that's just better chasing the title as a babyface than having the title as a babyface. His best run with a world title was when he was the heel in the authority. And even that, they booked him poorly. Yeah. If you remember, he, he oh, yeah. lost so many TV matches. But that was his best run with a world title. He has not had a successful run as a babyface with the world title. He had a successful run with the IC title, but he has not done that with the world title. Yeah. Now, Kogan, a uh, dialogue for film in the chat brings up a good point that is possible. Um, it says uh, Cody was uh, probably meant to feud with Bray. And then, you know, obviously. So, I mean, if that's if that was the case, obviously, there's nothing anybody could have done about that. And obviously, rest in peace, Bray Wyatt. That's way, way, way more important than any wrestling storyline. Well, obviously, but, but they but they did. They did mention, I think uh, I think it was like uh, Sean or somebody mentioned uh, that they did not have any plans set in stone. Maybe that was a thought that they had, 
but we can't say it's like this was like been reported or this sure. is what they were gonna do. No, that may be a possibility of what they thought, but they did not have plans set for Bray Wyatt, meaning they did not have plans set for Cody Rhodes after he faced Brock Lesnar. Right. I think it was definitely a thought though. I mean, with their history yeah, and yeah, the yeah, NXT definitely. and all that, but yeah. but no, I, I know what you're saying. I, I get I get where everyone's at with that. Well, I kind of speaking to that with Judgment Day and Cody and Jay, that they're gonna have a match as well, a tag team title match for the undisputed WWE tag team championships at uh at Fastlane as well. And this gets interesting to me also because it's like Balor and Priest aren't really like a tag team. I mean, they are now; they're the tag team champions, but they were like kind of thrown together because of this group and because of the story as a tag team, you know. But it, it's working; like the Judgment Day story is working. I'm, don't get me wrong, but like. Now it's making me think, does, does Cody and Jay, like, do they win the tag team titles? And that, because the only reason you would have Cody and Jay doing anything together at all is to eventually get back to Cody and Roman. Like, this is this is the link that brings Cody back to that storyline. So, and they're going to be on SmackDown tomorrow. So, like, do you think that Cody and Jay win the tag team titles? Or, because my thing is, like, I have it so set in my head, like, okay, Cody needs to, just he needs to finish, finish the story, he needs to beat roman for the for the undisputed championship the real world title but now part of me is thinking like the longer it takes if the rock might be involved if we have to wait even longer like does cody just start winning other championships and and doing other stuff until they figure that out and i mean maybe like because i've also thought even whether or not he wins the, the the tag team titles I think by the time he wrestles Roman, he could very well have beat Seth. Like, I think Cody, I think Cody could very well win the world title. And that isn't really finishing his story. He becomes the champion. That's a big deal. But like the real finish of the story is like the, like the big final like unification of everything. Like Cody brings in the, the world title. Roman's got his undisputed title. And that's the thing that settles it all. And Cody finally finishes the story and takes all the gold. But like, I, I don't know. I or I really don't know where they're going to go with all this because I I think they've already, I think they don't even know 100 exactly where they're going. I think they have an end goal for everything, but they also could throw it all out the window depending on if the rocks available and stuff as well. So a lot of this is like on the fly, up in the air, probably. So I guess ultimately my question for you for USP three is, uh, do you think Cody Rhodes and Jey Uso win the tag titles from Judgment Day? But I mean, ultimately, it's all going to lead to Cody and Roman in the story at some point, anyways. So. Yeah, I think that uh, this is all this is all the reason to get back Cody into this whole bloodline story. And that probably needs some new people involved in it because it's not been the best since uh, SummerSlam. So, yeah, I think that the Judgment Day are going to retain in this matchup. And I just have no emotion towards a Cody Rhodes and Jey Uso uh, partnership because they've done no work to to do this it was basically cody brings jay back because jay quit from smackdown so he brings him to raw like he's a general manager for a trade where smackdown doesn't get anything back until what months later now we're a month in and they still have not got anything back in return for jay uso who quit so they shouldn't get anything back because he quit no. so yeah it that doesn't make any sense. That part of the story doesn't make any sense. Uh, we've only seen two segments with Jay Uso and Cody Rose together. They've literally shown no chemistry together as a team. They haven't done a tag team match together. They haven't done segments together where they're building them up. I had somebody tell me that it was WWE's answer to better than you, baby. And I'm like, no, it's not. 
that's disrespectful. I was like, that's disrespectful to uh, to better than you, Bebe. They actually <laughs> took the time to build a partnership. They did not do this here. So, yeah, I think that Judgment Day gets the win. And I feel that Judgment Day will eventually drop the titles to DIY. I feel like you bring DIY back in. It's got to be to tell the story of their rise to the tag team titles, especially when you're doing it in the main event spot of a show. You better be having a plan for them long term. So having keeping the titles on Judgment Day, I think that's the long term plan. And I think with this Cody and Jay, eventually this is going to probably lead to Cody and Jay versus Solo and Jimmy, maybe. Or some these guys. Oh, I feel like all of this is leading to war games where I think it's gonna be Finn, Damien, Dom, Solo, and Jimmy versus Sammy, KO, Jay, Cody, and maybe maybe throw Seth in there to make the world heavyweight title important again so he could be in a main event program. Interesting. I like it. I do think we're building towards war games. I think we I think we're gonna see Cody Rhodes in war games, one way or another, which I, I am happy about that. Really quick, don't elaborate on it, just give me a winner or a loser. Who do you have between John Cena and LA Knight versus the bloodline? John Cena and LA Knight. Yeah, I think that they're gonna I think LA Knight's gonna get a one-on-one title match against Roman Reigns at some point. I think that they'll they'll try to capitalize. I don't think he's gonna beat him. If he beat him, I'm never watching WWE ever again. We'll just throw that out there. But um it's gonna be saudi arabia uh yeah i feel like that's the reason and then they do probably aj styles at the royal rumble i like it i like it all right moving on we got some indie spotlight to talk about i'm gonna give a big mother fucking shout out yeah indie spotlight this week is um comments from effie one of my favorite uh independent wrestlers i I don't even like calling him an independent well i shouldn't say i say like it's a bad thing um effie is a guy who is self-made incredibly successful um a great entering wrestler a great character um good person you know what i mean like he's a guy who helps a lot of people in a lot of ways puts on his own shows as a promoter um has his own podcast everything and uh his own twitch like effie's a guy i really respect and i think a lot of people uh look up to in a lot of ways as far as like marketing themselves and like making uh an actual independent career for themselves and not being reliant on tv contracts and stuff like that um i heard him making some comments uh recently about tv stars coming into the world of uh you know indie wrestling or just the just their drawing power in general and i just wanted to bring that up and talk about it a little bit today on the show because um i agree with him you know completely with what he was saying and it's stuff that i've said myself in a lot of ways um without getting like too detailed in the conversation in without trying, I'm going to try not to like name names, but like I totally understand where he's coming from because there are guys like him, girls like him, non-binary wrestlers. I mean, people of, of all backgrounds in independent wrestling and they work so hard. And some of them have, have done it really all by themselves, you know, and their rates are their rates. Like would they get paid? They are agreeing to, to, and, and stuff like that. Right. When they're independent contractors, independent wrestlers, but where I believe Effie's frustration is coming from and why he's saying the stuff he's saying is because when there's big, um, like for the WWE, for instance, when they, when, they, when they do mass layoffs and then there's like all these free agents available, there are free agents who are used to making a certain amount of money because they're coming out of a WWE system where like relatively speaking to like the indie scene, they're making a lot more money. They're making like guaranteed money or salaries and all this stuff. Whereas most of these indie wrestlers are on like, handshake agreements and like they just come in and do their do their their show and like they're in the next town to another company and and all this stuff and um 
and I, and I've talked about it myself quite a bit over the years too, where like there's certain wrestlers who, when you see them on TV, a lot, some of them, like you never really see on the indies or sometimes not even in other companies. And a lot of the time it isn't because they're untalented. It's because they're, they're outpricing themselves because like there's certain wrestlers, like you're making all this TV money. You never really had an independent career. You might be like out of the PC or something. So you're just used to making good money to wrestle. And now you're asking for all this money to do an indie booking and most promoters just can't justify it because like you'd have to sell so many tickets or raise the ticket prices. And like, there might not be any interest and all this stuff. And I just think it's interesting and probably a good thing that Effie's kind of come out and talked about this recently, because I'm not really that concerned personally, if like one isn't affecting the other, like if your rates, your rate, I feel like you shouldn't really be that concerned what other people's rates are. If it isn't cutting into what you're making, you can always look at it and be like, this doesn't seem fair. Like someone's making like $2,000 for a show. I'm making $200 for a show. I think I should be making more than this and have that kind of conversation. But I think it's a real problem when, um, when like, let's just say for instance, release WWE wrestler X one is trying to get booked on a show. The promoter comes to Effie and goes, Hey Effie, I know you usually make, I'm just going to make up a complete, just a, just a random number here. I have no idea what Effie gets paid. We're just going to say, Hey, normally you get $500 to come and do this show, but because we're bringing in wrestler X for the just got released from WWE, we can only pay you 400 instead of 500 this time. That's where I would have serious issues because that's, I'm like, how, how can you prove without a shadow of a doubt that this person is bringing in enough business for you to justify paying me less? And, and I just felt like that was a, a conversation that, that, only certain people can bring up because like Effie also has like a certain amount of clout. He has a certain amount, he has a big following. So he can, he can say this stuff and like, he's going to be okay. Whereas like certain wrestlers might not want to speak out about stuff like this because they feel like they're going to get buried over it. So yeah. um, I wanted to just kind of give a shout out to Effie today and say like, I agree with what he's saying. I've actually been saying a lot of this stuff myself as somebody who doesn't get paid for bookings or anything like that, but know a lot of independent wrestlers. Um, I've seen this affect other wrestlers as well. And I think it's interesting for him to say that he's even willing to basically um, boycott certain bookings for certain promotions and say, like, I'm not going to take bookings with like, he didn't, he didn't name names for companies, but there's certain companies basically saying, like, I'm going to stop taking bookings. I'll let you book these these TV stars and I'll prove you what the value of them is and the value of me is. And you'll, you'll yeah. figure it out. Like you'll waste all this money, bringing somebody in, still sell no tickets, still sell no eye pay-per-views, sell no extra fight plus subscriptions, sell no extra IWTV subscriptions, lose all this money. And you could have just had me come in and that wouldn't have happened to you. Cause like, you know, so, and now granted there is value in certain guys, right? Like I think like Adolf Ziegler, like, or like a uh, Selton Benjamin or something like that. And Mustafa Ali, there's going to be a lot of interest in like, what does this look like on the Indies? If like, if, if Dolph Ziggler wants to do like a GCW show, like he's going to get, he, he, but, but it's also relative, right? Like Matt Cardona was willing to play the game. Like, yeah, Cardona is not getting paid, but he got paid in WWE, but he's out there doing work everywhere. And he's become the mm -hmm. champion every company is involved in. And he's a great example of like doing it the right way, in my opinion, where someone like Effie has gotten screwed over by guys like Jeff Jarrett coming in, starting feuds with him, winning giant matches, promises of long-term stories and multiple matches that never piecing out to yeah. go to wwe hey, right exactly so like anyway wanted to bring that up on today's show effie if you hear this i'm with you man i've i've, I've been saying a lot of this stuff myself from like the outside looking in and it's good yeah. to see somebody kind of speaking up on this uh because i do think it is it is a problem for like the smaller 
lesser known wrestlers, if, they're, if their pay is getting messed with because they're bringing in bigger names that aren't drawing, that is messed up in my opinion. So, yeah, and I, and I totally agree with you that it had to be Effie to, to say it because the message can be right, but the messenger could be wrong. Right. And this was the right message with the right messenger because, like you said, Effie is one of, like, the top three, top five draws on the independent scene. Like, it's no, it's not, it's not, you know, a far-fetched thing to say he's a top independent act because everywhere he goes, he sells merch, he's a draw, he's a top name that you put in the top position. So Effie is the type of guy that is a self-made guy in this wrestling world. So to hear him say stuff like that... I think that that should be a message to these promoters and it should be a message to these WWE releases of take the examples of your Matt Cardona's who's was on the biggest stage possible and, you know, for years and worked the game and made himself valuable for these independent companies and for these like lower, lower major companies as well. Like you just starting up with MLW and stuff like that. But even someone like a Blake Christian who got a little bit of TV time and has really kind of reformed himself on the independent scene. He gets bookings for Ring of Honor, but he's still, you know, busting his ass, working all the independent shows that he can. So take those examples and that should be the thing you follow, not going in there and asking for a big price because that's what you're used to from your WWE time. Realize that you're starting to climb the ladder all over again. Exactly. Exactly. And I mean, because there's even guys like John Moxley, right? Like John Moxley is a multimillionaire, doesn't need to ever be involved in independent wrestling if he doesn't want to. He's doing it completely out of passion. I have no idea what he gets paid for his indie dates, but there's no way it's what he gets paid to be an AEW. And yeah. and like he just does it because he loves it. And if there's kind of those kind of guys around that want to just give back and contribute, I am all for that. I mean, having John Moxley as a part of your show puts it on just a completely different level automatically. Like yeah. even shows he's not announced for, he shows up as a, as a run in and like the, the, the buzz for your show is through the roof. And, exactly. And you know, and he's not asking for an arm and a leg to do that for people. Um, now I understand you need to make a living and you need to get paid what you feel like you're worth and that kind of stuff too. But um, I just want to throw that out there too. Also for like WWE fans and stuff like that, that some of their favorite wrestlers, you know, might not get picked up by certain companies or, might not show up on independent shows for companies that you like, but just keep in mind, sometimes it's not really the promoter's fault and stuff like that. And sometimes it isn't that they don't want to book people. It's that like, <clears throat> I mean, I can only imagine this is just a name that I'm going to use because he's back in the WWE now. And this was a while ago, but like, I can only imagine the number Braun Strowman would want to do a show. You know what I mean? Like, cause the guy, you know what I mean? The guys came yeah. into WWE, no independent career getting paid big money by WWE. Like he was on like one of those like fast track pay systems or whatever. He was like, he was making a lot more than like most of the roster fast. And then yeah. like he gets released during COVID. You don't see anything of him. Like he doesn't show up anywhere. And once again, I'm not saying like, there's probably multiple factors for that, but like I had heard like impact was interested and like they couldn't afford him. And like, um, there's no way an indie promoter, like, because once again, the draw isn't there. Like, a fan like myself isn't going to pay to see Braun Strowman wrestle an indie show. I'm not interested in that. I'm interested in seeing Dolph Ziggler work an indie show because, like, I think he'd go out and he'd show out and be like, oh, damn, like, he's been waiting to do this for a long time. Braun Strowman is just like, I'm not going to pay anything extra to see Braun Strowman work a slow WWE-style match in a high school gym. You know what I mean? And I'm not going to pay more for a ticket to see that or whatever. So, like, um, so anyway, just want to 
kind of throw it out, throw that out there. I, I like that Effie brought it up. And like you said, and like I've said as well, um, it needs to be the right messenger. And Effie is the right messenger. Like only, yeah. well, you know, because once again, he he's not going to get hurt by any of this. There's people who could, who could disagree with him and stuff. At the end of the day, he's a draw. He knows he's a draw. Promoters know he's a draw. He's got great relationships with all these different companies, all these different talents. He's going to be fine. But like, you know, if it was like a disgruntled wrestler, somebody who's been around forever, who like isn't doing anything, who has no buzz, who has no clout, who like, you know, if they came out here and said certain stuff, it just sounded like sour grapes. For Effie, like it, them, I'm I'm with him. I think he's making, yeah, I think he's spitting facts and I think it's stuff that like people need to hear. So I'm glad he's doing it. Facts. Um, all right. Our last set of topics today are going to be mainly on SP3. We actually have about, eight or so minutes that you can kind of elaborate on this. We're going to talk some new Japan pro wrestling and uh, maybe a little bit extra as well. Um, so we're going to hit the bumper and we'll move into that. Our product is what it is. We're going straight up the middle. SP3, take it away. We have a big new Japan show coming up. Yes. It's uh, this coming Monday, uh, October 9th is NJPW destruction in Rio Goku. Uh, so this is kind of going to be their, their last major show before they head over to the UK for Royal quest next weekend. That has that big will Osprey versus Zack Sabre jr. IWGP UK championship matchup. So bunch of big matches on Monday's card. You got the uh, strong open weight tag team titles going to be on the line with bullet club war dogs, defending against El Fantasmo and Hikaleo. Got the IWGP tag team, uh, 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 junior tag team titles on the line with uh, the Bullet Club War Dog, Jilla Maloney and Clark Connors versus Kevin Knight and Kushida, the Jet Setters. But I wanted to focus on kind of the major matches on this card to preview and talk about, especially one that I know Steven Jensen got to go out of his way to see uh, these Two one two two on this card that I definitely think you should go out of your way to see. Uh, never open way six man tag team titles. You got Kashika Okada, Hiroshi Tanahashi, and Tomoro Ishii defending against Team Impact of Josh Alexander and the Motor City Machine Guns, Chris Saban, and Impact World Champion Alex Shelley. So you got Shelley and Alexander teaming with each other uh, just a mere two weeks before they face each other at Bound for Glory. I talked to Josh Alexander. My interview with him drops at tonight at 7 p.m. over on True Hill Heat, where I talked about this matchup, his matchup with Alex Shelley as well. And I asked him about Kashiko Okada, who let his uh, feelings know that he has no, uh, he has a lot of ill will towards Impact Wrestling and TNA from his uh, his run in the 2010s. Green but Hornet. Who do you think is going to win this one with uh, Team Okada versus Team Impact? Man, I mean. I feel like the like the New Japan team probably hold the titles, right? Probably hold, probably, probably retain them. But I but I like the I mean, Motor City Machine Guns one of the best tag teams like ever. Like just not even just on the indies. Like people need to really give them credit for their longevity and how great they still are, um, individually and as a tag team. And it's cool that Alexander's teaming with them. I'll actually be reviewing Bound for Glory with uh with Joel and I don't know if Cresta will be joining us or not or if she's got other commitments, but. Um, thank you for reminding me about that. That's coming up very soon. Yes. Um, October 21st. Awesome. Awesome. I'm looking forward to that. I love those impact pay-per-views. Um, but yeah, I'm going to go with, uh, I'm going to go with team, uh, new Japan in that one. Uh, then you got Tama Tonga versus David Finley for the never open way championship, but the other matchup, I think that David Finley is going to retain that. And I think that Shingo Takagi is going to probably be his next challenger there. 
As far as the next matchup, this is the other match I, I think Jensen's going to definitely go out of his way to see. IWGP Junior Heavyweight Championship three-way matchup. It's going to be Hiromu Takahashi defending against Leo Rush and Speedball Mike Bailey. If you have seen anything from these three guys when they've been interacting throughout this year's, uh, this year has been some of the best junior heavyweight matches this year, whether it's Hiromu versus Leo in the New Japan Cup final, Hiromu versus Mike Bailey in the in Best of Super Juniors in Kurgan Hall. Yeah, Leo Rush and Mike Bailey in the Best of the Super Juniors. And now we got all three of them together. Who do you think wins, Jensen? Man, I mean, I I love speedball. I just don't think with it being a New Japan show, that's where it's like hard for me to like go against a lot of these guys that I know are like full time or like or at least way more often in New Japan. Leo Rush, I I don't think. Well, I know they put the Impact Exhibition title on him fairly recently, but it was a short term thing. With his unpredictability, as far as like how how committed he stays, I don't. Know. I don't know. I don't know. On Road to Destruction last week, he stated that he's making the move to Japan. Oh, is he? Okay. he said his family is moving to Japan, that he's packed the bag and his family is coming over. He's going to bring his family over. Cool. And by the way, I don't have any issue with like Leo doing his own thing. Like, I think it's cool that there's certain guys out there that kind of like, they're like their own, like the beat, the beat of their own drum, you know, like they, they come as they please, they leave as they please. They have other interests outside of wrestling, you know? So like Leo, I just feel like it's hard to go like all the way with him in certain companies because like, yeah. you just don't, you, you busy, one day he might just be like, you know what? I'm really feeling like, I really want to get back to music and I'm just don't want to wrestle for a little while. And like, this is what it is. You know, you kind of know that when you go into business with him, but the trade-off is he's so damn good in the ring that like you want to use him. Cause it's like, dude, whenever you're available, come in and have great matches for us. That's for sure. You know? So, sure. um, so it's hard for me to think that he's going to win the title. I'll probably go with Takahashi retaining. I love all three of these guys though. I think Leo is still, one of the best in-ring guys in the world. I think Speedball arguably like is the best in the world as far as like consistently having like every one of his matches is good. Like every yeah. single one and every company. It was like a wide variety of opponents across I, all these I think, promotions. I think Speedball and Osprey is about to have the, the greatest impact matchup since AJ, Daniels, and Joe. Yeah, at Bound for Glory. I'm with you on that. Because honestly, like if 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 someone were to say, well, no, no, speedball is not the best in the world. Will Osprey is, I would say, okay, like I'm not gonna argue that. Like Will yeah. Osprey is, yeah, sure. Yeah, like yeah, I, I got um, asked the question is uh Gunther and Ilya Dragunov the best two performers in wrestling going right now? I was like, no, because Will Osprey is alive. Yeah, right. I, mean, listen, <laughs> I, I love Ilya Dragunov. I, I, love, like, I love both yeah. of those guys. I love yeah. both of those guys, but I'm saying, like, yeah. yeah no, well, Osprey is a different <laughs> level. I've said this too. Like, and, and this is no knock to AEW because everyone knows I love AEW. I, love, I mean, AEW and GCW are like my two favorite companies. Everyone knows that. But, like, if Will Ospreay wound up in the WWE system, he'd probably wind up being the most famous wrestler in the world. Maybe one of, maybe the most popular wrestler of all time. Like, because yeah. he has, he has the look and the in ring ability and stuff to where, like, WWE in the in the youth still he's still young like WWE can make him if he was the face of the thing he could be just just such a massive massive mainstream superstar um but um but I'm gonna I'm gonna go with uh, Takahashi to retain I also you know just because I don't pay attention as closely anymore but I remember Takahashi having a lot of momentum before he had that big neck injury a handful of years ago like he got dropped on his head and um 
it looks like he's recovered pretty well you know, over the he's, years. And, he's you know. regained a lot of it this year. He's had his best run with the junior title this year, and he's kind of set the goal that he wants to get the record for the junior title, which I think is 10 defenses. So this one like would be his six. And then you got Sonata versus Evil. Sonata needs to win. Evil, just get the hell out the main event. And shout outs to, to Stardom, because they got a big show on the ninth as well. That's going to be Kyrie's final Stardom show. And also shout outs to Suzu Suzuki, 21 years old, winning the five-star Grand Prix tournament. Suzu Suzuki is one of the best female wrestlers in the world. She could do death matches, can do the speed run matches in stardom, has had some of the best matches in that tournament, and then had a hell of a matchup with Micah in the finals. So shout out to Suzu Suzuki. Awesome. Good stuff, man. Well, we have uh, made it through an episode of the spotlight here. We made it out of here on time so I can go clock into the shoot job. This is great. Uh, no interview for y'all this week, unfortunately, just because of Jeremy not being here and um, me having to leave at 11 o'clock. But we do have an interview lined up for y'all for next week that I think you're going to really enjoy. I believe it'll be, um, you'll probably hear a good mix of like wrestling media and, um, and independent wrestling interviews over the next few weeks for me and Jeremy. So stay tuned for that. SP3, let people know where they can find you at, man. True Hill SP3. I'll be live in about two hours over on the True Hill Heat YouTube channel with AE Ramble breaking down last night's dynamite with Jimmy Macaram. And if you know Jimmy, he hates AEW a lot. So it's a great review. Difference in opinions. There you go. You can follow me on Twitter or X at Fight Talk underscore. Use code Fight Talk on independentwrestling.tv and uh, listen to the Fightful Select Weekender podcast. I actually just uploaded it yesterday for this week. Um, I was feeling a bit under the weather in my shoot job. I have to talk so much that like I just could not record an hour-long podcast talking about wrestling the last couple of days, but I, I got it done on uh, on last night. So um, that is available on FightfulSelect.com. Um, I talk even more about Edge or Adam Copeland uh, joining AEW. I talk a whole bunch of independent wrestling and stuff. Uh, we got like Glory Pro, we got Limitless, um, action wrestling, a bunch of stuff that we talk about, some Ring of Honor spoilers. So if you want to listen to that right now, it's available on FightfulSelect.com. And then the next episode of The Weekender will either be on Sunday or Monday, depending on the uh, like the Viking schedule, what I'm doing with my family, and also depending on when the independent shows are during the weekend and when I can record the reviews of them. So either Sunday or Monday for the next episode of the Fightful Select Weekender podcast. Um, yeah, for SP3, I'm Steven Jensen. Thank you very much for watching. We'll be back uh, very soon. Y'all have a great day and a great weekend. Great to see everyone in the chat. Great to see SP3. Bye. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.